Man, that is a really, really cool ministry, and we wanted to highlight that for two reasons. One, to show you kind of an update on our churches in Kenya and how those are our people there in the video, especially towards the end, that uh, Doug and his team had taken a trip, like you said before, and already done half of their library, which is a lot of the stories in the Bible, and they're going back this summer to do the other half. And we are a part of that and making that happen. And so we wanted to, to show you that, to kind of give you an update on our churches there. And we'll be talking more about that, planting more churches in Kenya. But it's just amazing to see how God already had somebody in our church that has this skill. And now we can partner with him to continue to disciple and reach more people there in Kenya. And that's the second reason why we wanted to show you that, because Doug and his uh, business partner, and they're here at our campuses today. And so after our gathering is over, you can go out to the lobbies and talk with them, ask them any questions you want. But it's just super cool because they're just normal guys that God has given a talent to and given a vision to. And we wanted to show that to you because we believe that you have gifts and talents that God wants to use. And maybe it's here at our church, maybe it's in other ways around the world. And it's just amazing to me. And and when I heard about what Doug was doing and then we partnered with him to bless our churches, I just, I just wanna show your story so that people in our church can know that they're just like you, just normal people that God has given a gift to and who knows how God wants to use them and the gifts that they have to further the kingdom. And so I pray that you'll go have a conversation with them today afterwards and just wanted to highlight that story as a way to show you what God is doing in and through our local church and in and through the people of our local church. So now as we get into the message, why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunity we have today, as always, to gather, to hear your word, to worship together. God, I pray you would encourage us today in this word and also through the story that we just saw. God, we thank you for one message and the vision that you've given them and how we've been able to partner with them and with Serve to continue to feed people, to reach people, to plant churches, to disciple people. God, it's amazing what you're doing in Northwest Kenya. And we just pray that you would bless that and continue to move through our work there. You truly are a global God, and it just amazes me to see how you're working all over the globe through people who have just simply said yes to you. And so, God, I thank you for Doug and their team and how you're using them, using gifts and talents you've given them to edit videos, to tell a story, um, to now come alongside our church, and our church is to tell the greatest story that's ever been told, the story of Jesus. So God, I just pray that you'd bless that and lead more people to Christ through it. As we open up your word now, we ask you to speak. We are listening. Please help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you got a Bible, we're in John chapter 21, which is the last chapter of John. Yeah, I feel like we're at the, the, at the end, like Jesus can return, like in a few weeks, right? Uh, people are like, when is the world going to end? Right when we're done with John. And um, so we're here in the last chapter, and I gotta be honest with you, it's kind of a bittersweet moment because I've really enjoyed these last two years covering over the gospel according to John. In fact, I was talking to a guy in our church recently and I said, maybe I'll just go back through John again. He's like, that's fine. And I didn't expect him to say that. So thank you for being good participants as we walk through the word together. But in John chapter 21, we're gonna see a story. And this, this text, in fact, we're in verses one through 14 today, is a story that, that just happens, there, that Jesus is meeting with his disciples. And this is the third time as you're gonna see that he has a conversation with them. And in this story, we have just some events that happened, and, and, and what I'm stressing about this is sometimes when you're reading the Bible, it's just telling you stories, and, and theologically speaking, or when you're studying something, you have to understand sometimes it's just a narrative, and what that means is it's just describing what happened, and so theologically speaking, we call that descriptive. It's just describing, and we can't just take things that happened and, and that are just descriptive and use them as what's called prescriptive. So there's a difference between descriptive and pre, pre, uh, prescriptive. Can't speak this morning, all right? Descriptive is just describing. Prescriptive is prescribing. Think of like a doctor prescribing medicine to you. So a lot of what we've seen, especially when Jesus is talking, is prescriptive. 
It's prescribing something to us. But then sometimes there are stories that are just describing things to us, and we can't necessarily take principles out of those, because it might be a story of what not to do, right? It might be describing a situation that God doesn't want repeated. But just because it is descriptive doesn't mean we can't learn anything from it. And so what I want to show you today is this story that's describing what happened, but then do try to pull out some things that I think are true, even though it's a narrative, even though it's telling you what happened, I still think it can point out things that are true. So let's go John chapter 21, verses one through three, to kind of set the story up, and then we'll talk about it. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. So this is back up north. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, not doubting Thomas, all right? Remember from last week, if you were here, we're not saying that anymore. It's Tom, Thomas called Didymus. Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Everybody say nothing. 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 No thing. They didn't catch anything. So this is now in between Jesus's resurrection and his ascension. And this story is only recorded in the gospel of John. The other gospels give us some different things that happen in between Jesus's resurrection and ascension. But John is the only one who gives us this one. And I think it's because this week, this story is a setup to next week when Jesus has a personal conversation with Peter, which we'll get into that next week. But I think John shows us this story because he wants us to understand how they were kind of dealing and still wrestling with the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. Pentecost hasn't happened yet. That was 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover. So that's still coming, and that's when the Holy Spirit comes down and empowers them. So they're in this in-between time, and they don't really know what to do with themselves because they're still kind of wrestling. I showed you last week, you know, eight days after the resurrection, they were still locked away in their room. So at least now they've left the locked room, all right? So they're making a little bit of progress, and they go back up to Galilee, and I think the reason why they do that is because Mark tells us that the angels had told them he will go ahead of you to Galilee, just like he said. And so they go back to Galilee under instructions of like, we're pretty sure we're supposed to be here. We're waiting on Jesus to show up again. What do we do? So they're sitting there, and Peter, being the impulsive one, says, well, I don't know about y'all, but I'm going fishing. And then they go with him. Now, there's two primary thoughts from theologians and commentators on why they go fishing. One is that Peter is still dealing with his own guilt and shame from denying Jesus. And so he's returning back to his old ways. He's returning back to all he knows. And I do think there's some element of truth to that because again, next week when Jesus has a conversation with Peter. But some commentators see, no, this is not them going back to what they know. This is them just being hungry. And so they do what they know. They go fishing. Because over the last three years, they've been traveling around with Jesus and people have been giving them potlucks everywhere that they go, right? People have been donating money. Jesus has been turning, you know, multiplying fishes and loaves. And so Jesus has been taking care of their needs. Now Jesus is not around. And so the boys are just hungry. So which one is it? Personally, I think it's a mix of both. I do think they're hungry and they think, well, we know how to fish. But I do think there's a deeper element there and I think that is why John is showing it to us. Because yes, they're hungry, but their hunger leads them to go back to doing 
what's familiar to them, what's normal to them, what's comfortable for them. And here's what I think we can learn from this story. So if you're taking notes, here's my first point. We are all tempted to go back to fishing for what's familiar. We are all tempted to go back to fishing for what's familiar. Here's what I mean by this. For them, it was the actual fishing that was familiar. It's what they knew. And us, when we are saved, and we talked last week about Thomas's response and how that is the correct biblical response when you trust Jesus to say, my God and my Lord, which you're saying basically, save me and command me. So to be a disciple of Jesus goes beyond just an initial decision. It's a daily decision to say, you're my God and you command me. What do you want me to do? So that is what it means to be a disciple. But we are still trusting Christ in a fleshly body. We are still, and and theologians throughout the centuries have said this, we are still simultaneously saints now and sinners. So there's still now the power of the Holy Spirit wants to obey God, but there's still this whole flesh part of us that rejects God, that doesn't want to obey God. And so here's what I want us to see, and I I think we can all resonate with this. Just because you've trusted Jesus doesn't mean you're going to obey him perfectly now. Your flesh, watch this, your flesh is always going to tempt you to go back to what's familiar for you. Let me say it like this, to go back into your old patterns, to go back into your old habits, your old ways of life. And some of those may be sinful just because they're outright sinful. They're outright against the word of God. But some of them on the surface may not be sinful, like fishing. Fishing on the surface isn't sinful. However, for these cats, when Jesus called them in Matthew chapter four, it tells us they were fishing, they had caught nothing, and then Jesus calls them and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of what? Anybody know? Men. I'll make you fishers of men. So that was their new purpose now. But now in this in-between time when they're confused, they go back to what's familiar, which is not fishing for men, but fishing for fish. All right? They go back to what's familiar to them. Let me say it like this. They go back to what's familiar to meet the needs of their flesh. They're hungry. And that in and of itself, listen, is not sinful, but it can still be counterproductive to their new calling in Christ, to their new mission now. So all of us are tempted to go back to patterns, to lifestyles, to things that we know that were normal to us. They were normal because they're familiar. But in the end, they can be counterproductive to our new calling in Christ. And that's what I think John wants to highlight here. It's that they went back to what was familiar, but it produced nothing for them. It produced nothing, which leads me to my next point. You might want to write this one down. But normal was getting us nothing. Normal was getting us nothing. This is, I think, the greater point that John is trying to show. You will be tempted to go back to what's normal. But here's what you have to remember. If your life before Christ was so awesome, then you wouldn't need Christ. If your life before Jesus was so great and so fruitful, then why did you turn to Christ? You turned to Christ because you realized there was a God and it ain't you. You need somebody else in your life to take the will, right? As has even been typified in country songs now. Jesus, take the will, right? Like Jesus, you be in charge. You be in control. 
So you came to the end of yourself because you realized you driving the thing was getting you nothing. Now Jesus driving it gets you life. But here's what you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted to go back to what's familiar, to what's normal for you, especially in times of confusion and doubt. You're going to go back to, watch this, your default programming, your default way of doing things. Even if that normal is dysfunctional, even if that normal way of life was getting you nothing, you're gonna be tempted to go back to it. And what you're gonna have to do when that happens is you're gonna have to remind yourself, yeah, but I was getting nothing from that. I was getting nothing from living my life my own way. I was getting nothing that I wanted by living my life my own way. I was getting nothing fruitful or productive. But here's the hardest part. It's normal for you. It's normal. I'll never forget when I moved here 13 years ago to pastor this church. And if you don't know anything about the story of Revolution Church, it was in a bad place 13 years ago. The founding pastor had left. It was in a lot of turmoil. And I met with Pastor Brian, who actually spoke at our Abide Nights because Westridge Church had planted our church. And so he was really helping our church during that time of transition. And so I met with him very early on to me coming to Revolution. We were eating at a good Tex-Mex place, like all pastors should, all right? And we're having a conversation, and I'll never forget, he looked at me and said, Jason, you need to know something. As you lead this church to get healthy, to be healthy, you need to know that people are going to think that you're weird because unhealth and dysfunction is normal for them. So when you show up, start speaking health, you show up and start speaking about moving forward, they're going to villainize you because you're the weird one. Health is not normal for them, but that's why you're here. You're here to help them get to health, but you need to know a lot of them are gonna think you're weird and even try to sabotage you from moving into health. That was some of the greatest advice I got. Because in those first two years of pastoring, we had this phrase that I said over and over again to our staff. I was like, at what point am I gonna stop being surprised? Because it's like every turn that we took, there was more craziness. It was like peeling back the layers of onions. And every time I peeled it, I cried more. I was like, what in the world have I gotten myself into here? But you had to have this vision for health and a new normal. Because watch, what's normal, and, and when I say normal, what I'm saying is what's comfortable for you is dysfunction. So you have to get, watch this, you have to get uncomfortable with what's healthy in order to get comfortable with it so that you can get uncomfortable with unhealth. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I hope it does. What I'm trying to get you to see is when God starts moving into your life, he's going to push you into places that are unfamiliar and it's going to be weird, but it's good for you because your old normal was getting you nothing. Your old ways that were familiar to you was coming up with an empty net. So I do think that's a greater truth that's going on here. Let me show you what I'm talking about, how Jesus is trying to push them forward. Look at verse four. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And what's kind of funny about that phrase is, I mean, children is very endearing term, and I'll bring that up in a second. But when he says, do you have any fish? He's literally, the word he uses here is like, do you even have like a tidbit of fish? Do you even have enough fish for an appetizer? He's, he's kind of being cheeky here. He's kind of being funny. He's like, have you even got a bite? And listen to what they say. No. Verse six, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat 
and you will find some. Now let's stop here for a second. I don't know what you know about fishing. And I don't know a lot. I'm more of a hunter than a fisherman. But I can do some basic, you know, kind of deduction of thinking that when you're fishing, and and I've been on a, a very similar boat on this very lake. This boat is not very big. We're not, we're not talking about you know, some kind of ocean trawler here because even though it's called the Sea of Galilee, it's really not a sea. I mean, it's a really big lake. And, and so the boat might be 12 feet, 10 feet wide, not really big. So what I'm saying is if they were casting off the left side and they move over to the right side and you look at this from kind of like, almost like from a map's perspective from up looking down, Is there that much different between those two sides of the boat? No. Even more so, don't you think they had fished from the right side of the boat? Like, here's the boat on top of the water, this side of the boat to that side of the boat, not a big difference on the water underneath. It's not like Jesus said, hey, go over to that cove over there. Go over to where the limbs are hanging down because there's some trees underneath and I know that's a, that's a good fishing spot. Like that would have made sense from a fisherman's perspective, right? Because those that do fish, they have honey holes, right? They have places that they know to go. In fact, I've never been deep sea fishing, but I have friends that have gone deep sea fishing and deep sea fishing is a little bit different because you don't have coves and banks. It's about coordinates on a GPS, right? Like, hey, here's the spots. I'll never forget a friend of mine who is a big deep sea fisherman. He had coordinates on a spot on his, whatever that thing is called, wayfinder, whatever. You can tell how much I know about fishing, all right? And then a guide stole his GPS coordinates and started taking other people there. He was mad as a hornet. I was like, bro, this is GPS coordinates. Like, no, that's where the fish are. Do you think any fisherman, and these cats were fishermen, would have heard this command from Jesus and like, his fisherman knowledge is unreal. The right side of the boat? (sighs) I would have never thought about that. No, they had already done that. They had already fished that side. So it's not that Jesus had outsmarted them in a natural sense. It's that Jesus has power that they don't have. See, Jesus doesn't have to go where the fish are. Jesus can make the fish come to them. And what I want you to see is this is not so much about the right side of the boat versus, I almost said vote, the right side of the boat. That'll apply too. This is not so much about the right side of the boat versus the left side of the boat which is how we typically think right and left, right? This is about the right side of the boat versus the wrong side of the boat. And it has nothing to do with the boat. The right side, watch this, is wherever he says. The wrong side is whatever you think. You see the difference? The right side is what he says. And we we tip to go, he said, she said. Here's the problem with he said, she said. He and she are wrong because he and she are confused. We live in a world now where he thinks he is a she. It's not about he and she. It's about us and him. See, that's a different kind of wisdom because it's not of this world. That's the point. Look at what Jesus says, or look at what happens next. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, which, you know, that, kind of that robe, which he had probably taken, around, uh, taken off and tied it around himself, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. 
The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, thinking, why did Peter jump? That's not what it says. But they were not far from land, but about 100 yards off. See, here's what I find fascinating about the story. It's not that they weren't casting. They were casting from the left side and the right side. They were casting on every side all night, but they got nothing. Why? Because they were doing it without Jesus. That's the point. If you spend your life casting your net according to what you think is right, you'll get nothing too. See, the point was cast when and where Jesus says. Which just is another way of saying live in the way that Jesus says. In fact, let me give you the definition of the word cast because I think you get it from a fishing perspective, but I wanna show you this. It's even deeper than this. The word cast means to throw, right? Like they threw the net, they hurled it, all right? But watch this, it goes deeper. It also means to bring about, to bring about something, to cause a state or a condition. So it's about bringing something about, to cause something to happen, about making something happen. But in the same way, watch this, it goes the other direction. It also can mean to do away with, to remove, to drive out. And then this one that seemingly makes no sense, deposit money. But it makes perfect sense. Because think about money. You're either making deposits or you're making withdrawals. That's the idea of casting. You're either doing something or you're driving out something. So this word cast has much deeper meanings than just throwing a fishnet. It means to bring about something that God wants you to bring about. It means, watch this, to drive out something that God wants you to drive out. See, the Bible gives all kinds of commands about how we should live, how we should build our life. Jesus said, if you build your life on my word, it's like building your life on a rock. When the storms come, you'll survive. But if you don't build your life on my word, it's like building your house on sand. When the storms come, you're gone. And here's what's crazy. It's crazy that we look around the world and we see all these lives that have been shipwrecked because they were built on sand, but we still think, that sounds like a good idea. I'm gonna cast my life the way I say. And that's the mistake. In fact, let me give you my next point. Rather, we should cast as Christ commands. But with this caveat, listen, even if it seems crazy. Cast as Christ commands. Even if, or I should say this, even when it seems crazy. Because it's not a matter of if it's gonna seem crazy. It's gonna seem crazy. Don't you know that these boys fishing all night, there's seven of them in a boat. They were probably all around the boat. Left, right, front, back. I mean, they were everywhere, all over that lake. They could have made their way around the whole lake the whole night. But here's what's crazy. What they didn't know is everywhere they cast their net, Jesus told the fish, move that way. Now, the story doesn't tell us that. That's, that's, that's the JSV, right? The Jason Standard Version. That's what I think. And here's what I want you to see. Christ commands us because he controls it. He controls the outcome. 
And this is why I said, and I said this last week, I don't understand when people want to fight with Christ over his ability to command their life. Because I don't know if you realize this, he knows more than you. And not only does he know more than you, he knows better than you. And not only does he know better than you, he controls more than you. But see, here's what's crazy. Could they see where the fish was? Or were? I don't know. No. They couldn't see below the surface. Neither can you. And don't you know that some of them were like, who's this crackpot on the shore? Whatever. This happened once before. And this is what I think happened. I think their flesh was talking nonsense, right? Their flesh was like, don't do that. But I think the spirit was in them like, I want to listen. I, th- I think they, watch this. I think their spirit had like a, a residual effect. Like their spirit was like, that sounds familiar. Somebody else told us to do this once. And what I think is they did it without thinking about it. Because if they would have thought about it, they would have thought themselves out of it. Which we do this all the time, don't we? You'll come to church, you'll hear a sermon, you're like, obey Jesus. You're like, I'm gonna obey Jesus. And you may even leave today like, I'm gonna obey Jesus on this area. This is what he told me to do. And by the time you get home, you done thought yourself out of it. Tell me I'm lying. This is why you gotta cast when Christ commands even when it's crazy. Because it's not just that he's commanding you. It's that he controls the fish. (laughs) And it doesn't have to make any sense. But if you cast as he commands, you bring about what he commands, you drive out what he commands, guess what? He can make it fruitful. That's the point. In the same way, when we When Lindsay and I moved here 13 years ago, I've said this many times, and I'll probably say it many times more, because I want you to understand how this applies to my own life. Knowing how crazy the situation was 13 years ago, my wife, Lindsay, said, Jason, what if we move there and it doesn't work? And I think I may even said this in last week's sermon. I get confused. They all run together. And I said, I'll preach the gospel and work at Walmart. Because the results aren't on me, babe. I just have to cast where he commands. And all I know is he's asking us to make a missionary move, to move from the great country of Texas to Georgia. That's all I know, babe. Which you've heard me say many times. I told my wife, if she's not willing to live in a hut in Africa, don't marry me. Here's what I was saying to my wife. Baby, we're going to cast in some ways that's going to feel crazy. But because... Christ told us we don't have a choice. And I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad we moved because God has blessed us, us personally, richly. We've seen God move in miraculous ways over the last 13 years. Think about this. They never would have had the fish if they hadn't have cast as he commanded, which is the moment why when they catch the fish, what does Peter do? Right? Like, that's what he does. I couldn't jump that way because then I wouldn't be able to catch myself and I got another sermon to do after this, right? And and don't you think that the other disciples who were in the boat were like, oh God. There's there's Peter. And now they're only 100 yards off and now they got to drag the fish in. Then come Peter. But the moment that Peter saw the fish, the moment, let me say it like this, the moment he saw the catch, he knew it was Christ. And he did the only thing that makes sense when you see that, which is you do whatever you gotta do to get to him, right? So if we'll cast as Christ commands, even when it seems crazy, We'll see the catch that he can bring. We showed you the video of Doug earlier. Here's Doug. 
videographer. They have a business doing branding and doing video, right? And helping companies get the message out. And then one day the spirit comes to him and says, hey, what if you use these talents in a different way to take my message out? They didn't have a company. They didn't have a business. They just had a command. So guess what? They cast the net, not knowing if it's going to catch anything, but they realize the catch isn't on them. What's on them is just to obey the command. It's on God to bring the catch. And so they operate in faith. And now here's what's crazy. It's catching people. It's catching people. So what I'm saying to you is you never know how God could use you to catch fishers, to be fishers of men, to catch men and women until you cast. And here's what's crazy. I love this. This word cast is used elsewhere in the Bible. It can be used to talk about casting out demons, driving out something. See, there's going to be times in your life that are things that are so familiar to you that the Bible says you got to drive that out. You got to flee from that. First Corinthians six, Paul says you have to flee from sexual immorality. But here's the problem. We keep flirting with things that he's told us to flee from. And we keep wondering why we're not getting the catch. And that is the lie of this current world. Just give in to your sexual fantasies and you will be fulfilled. But it'll give you nothing. Here's why. The world didn't make your body and the world didn't make sex. God did. And this is why I don't rest. I, I don't understand when people are like, God's commands are just horrible. Do you know what the first one was? The first one was be fruitful and multiply. Before there was Barry White, there was God. <laughs> My wife's not here so I could say it. God said, let's get it on. God said that. And some of y'all that grew up in church, you're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It was his idea. It wasn't the world's. And I use that as the example all the time because it bothers me that the world acts like they came up with it. And it bothers me that the world hijacks God's order and design of it. Because Satan can't create. He can only corrupt. He can only pervert. So of course he's going to take good things that God made and pervert them. And here's what Christ says. You drive that out. You, dr you cast that out. You remove that. But your flesh is going to be like, but it's so familiar to us. This is what I feel. Yeah, but feelings are fatal. You have to have someone on the shore that's not being tossed by the waves that's giving you commands that you say, this feels right but it goes against what he said. And I'm gonna go with what he said because he has the ability to bring about what I want if I drive this out. Are you with me when I say this? So cast as Christ commands, even if and when it seems crazy. Because that's not the end. He doesn't just ask us to cast. Look at what else happens. Verse nine, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore. At least he did something, right? Full of large fish, 153 of them. How did they know that there's 153? This isn't a trick question. They counted, okay? All right, they counted. So I wanna say this, because sometimes even in church world, people get weirded out by this stuff. 
It's okay to count. In fact, in Acts chapter two, Peter cast out a different net when he preached the gospel. And how many people got saved that day? Anybody know? 3,000. How do they know it was 3,000? They counted. They counted men because men count. I'm not saying men and women. I'm saying people. They counted people. But they had sharpened their skills on counting fish. So it's okay to count in church world, okay? If you're using the count as a way to glorify what God has done. So there's on occasions we will tell you, like just for Easter, how many people came to Easter? How many people trusted Christ? Because we're excited about what God did. We don't live and die by those numbers. It's okay to count those numbers. But then look at what else happens. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. See, not only can Jesus catch them, he can do it in a way that won't tear your life up. He'll do it in a healthy way which is typified by what happens next. Look at this. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, why is this important? Because I want to point out something. Jesus is in between resurrection and ascension. He's only got 40 days. He's got work to do, right? But he's not so busy casting that he can't invite his boys to come and have breakfast. I want you to see this. Jesus is not so busy that he can't stop and have breakfast. I don't know why, but as I was reading that this week, it just hit me. And it hit me with this realization. If I'm too busy to have breakfast with those that I'm working with, those in my family, in my literal family and in my church family, then I'm too busy. If Jesus was not too busy to sit and have breakfast, then neither am I. And here's what I love about Jesus. They get to the, to the shore, the charcoal fire's already there. Now, I don't know if Jesus was like, charcoal fire, and then it was there. Or if Jesus went and got charcoal. I, I would like to think that just because he, he, he never used his power for personal benefit, so I don't think he did it to cut out the work. I think he probably went and got the charcoal himself. Lit it, put a grate over it, put some fish on it, some bread. Like, hey, come here, boys. See, here's what I'm saying. We can't be so busy casting all the time that we have no time for the charcoal. And here's why this is so important. It wasn't until they sat down by the fire with Jesus that they knew it was Jesus. That's when they knew. Because there was something about who he was and how he talked and what he did. They're like, we know. See, Jesus said back in John 10, when he talked about himself being the shepherd, he said, I'm the shepherd and my sheep know my voice. See, you and I, We'll never know his voice. Let me say it like this. We'll never know where to cast unless we've sat with him by the charcoal. We'll never know what to do unless we've been with him. So here's the key. So many of us keep going back to what's familiar to our flesh because we can't discern the voice of the shepherd who's commanding us. So you and I have to make time to sit with the shepherd around the charcoal fire. I don't care if you make a literal fire. Make a literal fire. Have your seat and an empty seat and say, come on, Jesus, have a seat. 
and you sit down with his word and you ask the Holy Spirit, speak to me. I want to know the voice of my shepherd. I want to know him because I want to follow him. See, this is so true, not only in your life, but in leadership, in my life. I have to sit with the shepherd around the charcoal fire and say, I gotta know your voice because there's no way I can cast this net or cast a vision or bring about what you want to bring about if I don't know you. This is one of the reasons why I take a preaching break every summer. And this summer, I'm gonna add some things to it. I'll be talking to you about it over the next couple of weeks because I want you to understand how important it is for me as an under shepherd to spend time with my shepherd so that I know what to say from him to say to you because sometimes when he says something, I'm like, that's crazy. That'll make a lick of sense. He's like, I know, but I said it so you can trust me and take a nap. So here's my last point and we're done. Jesus doesn't just command us to cast he also says, come and have breakfast. Jesus isn't just out to command you. He's out to invite you to come and have breakfast with him. Come sit with him. Be with him. And we're going to get into this next week as we see the surgical work he does on Peter's heart. See, Peter had to sit with Jesus before he spent a lifetime of being a fisher of men. Because if not, he would have been so tempted to go back to fishing to what was familiar for him. So Jesus had to do this work in his heart. And he's got to do this work in your heart too. But here's the good news. He wants to. He's inviting you in to let him work on your heart to repair the parts of you that always want to go back to what's normal to you, but is abnormal. What's dysfunctional and make it functional. What's unhealthy and make it healthy. And then he wants to send you out. What's amazing in Matthew 9, when Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send. That word send is this exact same word, cast. See, God wants to cast you out into the world. But he wants to make sure that you've spent time coming and be with Jesus before he casts you out. Because if not, when he casts you out, you're gonna lead people to be dysfunctional. So he's gotta deal with you and then send you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God that knows us and you know where the fish are because it's not that you just know where they are, you can command them. And so, God, I pray that we would understand that the fruitful life we want comes from following you, not from following the ways of the world, not from following our flesh, not, not from doing what feels right to us, but from following your word. And so, God, I pray right now for anybody in this room or listening or watching online, that has never had a moment where they heard you call their name and say, come. Come have breakfast with me. I'll make you. They've never heard you call their name and invite them into a relationship. I pray right now, God, you would do that. Somebody looking around or talking here as we close, if there's never been a point in time in your life where you've trusted Jesus, then right now, if you hear him calling your name, inviting you in, respond. And this is how you can do it. You can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. And this is when you are trusting God and like Thomas saying, my God and my Savior, so if that's you, it goes like this. Say, Father, 
Thank you for loving me. That you sent Jesus in my place for my sin. I trust you. I ask you to be my God and my Lord. Save me and command me. Thank you for loving me. I ask you to forgive my sins. I'm trusting in Jesus alone. Again, nobody looking around or talking. If that was you, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? We got men and women that are here and they're gonna be moving about, but please wait a second if you're trying to get up and leave because this is a holy moment. But then those of you that have trusted Christ before, but you just feel like God is commanding you to do something that seems crazy, crazy to you. I want you to understand, we understand that. Which is why we have men and women down front here at both of our campuses. If you need somebody to pray for you, you can go ahead and come on out right now. Come down front. If you wanna just come and pray, say, God, give me the courage like Peter just to jump, just to cast Don't move on from this moment and think yourself out by the time you get home. Because I'm telling you, you will never catch what you want if you don't obey his commands. And yes, it's gonna take you acting without seeing it. It takes faith to follow God, but he can be trusted. So cast where he commands. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and for stories like this that we see it applied. We see the principle in this story and help us to live by those principles, to drive out what you want us to drive out, to bring about what you want us to bring about because you can be trusted. You will fill our nets if we have the faith to throw them where you say. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen.